There's something very special and timeless about that music. It's the very first thing you hear in Olivier Messiaen's almost hour-long piece, Quartet for the End of Time, and it's called Crystal Liturgy. I think it pulls you out of our material world immediately into this other world. There are many reasons for that, uh, but let's hear what Messiaen wrote about this movement. He said, between three and four in the morning, the awakening of birds, a solo blackbird or nightingale improvises, surrounded by a shimmer of sound, by a halo of trills lost very high in the trees. Transpose this onto a religious plane, and you have the harmonious silence of heaven. I feel like that's Messiaen in a nutshell. He was fascinated by birdsong, frequently imitates it in his music. He was a highly spiritual person. Spirituality infuses everything that he does. And uh, he talks about the harmonious silence of heaven. Well, Messiaen wrote some of the most incredible harmonies of all time. Uh, they are dissonant at times, sublimely transcendent at others. Uh, nobody does dissonance and release quite like Messiaen. He was very much inspired by Revelation for the piece Quartet for the End of Time. Uh, perhaps not surprising, considering where he wrote this piece. It was famously composed while Messiaen was interred in a German POW camp during World War II. And uh, it's, it's kind of insane, but it was also given its first performance there as well. And what's incredible, I think, is not that he's channeling Revelation, right? You're, you're in a, a POW camp. Uh, you're you're going to be thinking about the end of the world, especially if you're given to eschatology or a spiritual person anyway. Uh, but what's, a, what's amazing to me and to so many other people is the tranquility that he finds. I mean, this is a person who really has a foot in our world, which for him at the time was not going so well, but also the world to come. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. Quartet for the End of Time is one of the most important chamber works, uh, well, of the, of the 20th century at least. I, I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, it's inspired countless composers and performers. I'm one of probably a million people at least on the planet who have the score handy at, at almost any given time. And there's a new album out now called Songs for the End of Time, Volume 1 that is an homage, uh, kind of a radical reinterpretation in some respects, although I would say with, with uh, the utmost respect, by a group in uh, New York called Founders. So two of them, uh, Ben Russell and Brandon Reidenauer, were kind enough to talk with me. Going to talk with them a little bit, find out more about this album, about what they were thinking. But first, let's hear what I'm talking about. Let's hear that same piece, Crystal Liturgy, now in the hands of Founders.
in its earliest, earliest form, uh, founders met through a songwriting platform on SoundCloud. And in order to be a part of the songwriting club, all you had to do was write a song every two weeks. Didn't matter if the song had words, you just had to post some kind of composition to the SoundCloud account to stay in the club. And if you failed to do so, you got a strike and three strikes and you're out of the club. So it really encouraged everyone to stay creative and continue to just create things and, and share them with each other. And I believe the group is still going on, um, but uh, we've since gotten our strikes, I guess, but <laughs> we, uh, in its the, earliest form, sorry? Yeah, Hamilton is still, he's now the, uh, the leader uh, yeah. of the troupe and there's several composers there um, that are still continuing this and other songwriters and, um, yeah, it's great. He's still keeping a nice group of uh, uh, creative uh, people going with with this idea of turning in something. And it's now way like it's expanded way to like um, there's a lot of poetry now. There's uh, uh, people doing YouTube little YouTube videos, some people writing music for them playing a video game, you know, that kind of thing. Like um, so it's all over the map and it's a very creative thing. and essentially yeah that's how we were also brought together and made aware of each other's music um brandon and i had never met before so this was a way for us to kind of be introduced musically before we had been introduced uh, even personally i heard ben's songs on the soundcloud account and thought man this this guy already sounds like a famous singer songwriter i want to be a, in a band with him and i think little little did we know that that would actually happen um, because we got together to play each other's songs and then we thought hey why don't we record each other's songs so we did and then that ended up becoming our first album over a period of time called you and who um, and yeah a lot of the songs from that album were actually uh, ones that were shared early on in, on this soundcloud account so how did you uh, come up with the idea for songs for the end of time uh, that was uh that was also uh, pretty close to the beginning of when we were um, starting to write things for each other. Brandon brought in a tune uh, where he had done an, a, uh, an arrangement of the um, intermedia movement from the from Messian's quartet for the end of time. And that began our kind of journey of being obsessed with that piece um, as, as founders. Uh, you know, prior to him doing that, I think like I had played that played the actual quartet for the end of time and and we were all kind of in love with that piece anyway uh, just fascinated by it and uh, uh, curious about it and even if not knowing exactly what was happening uh, I you know listening to it uh, multiple times uh, it was it was definitely something that influenced a lot of how I uh, like to see uh, certain compositional uh, roads in my own work uh, try and you know I tried to gain as much as I could from that piece well when Brandon brought that into the group it was like oh interesting we could use this and I think it was then in like the beginning of 2019 that we just kind of uh, went 100% towards seeing how many of the movements we could uh, uh, arrange for the group and and we, we ended up saying like let's do the whole work and so we did eight movements eight pieces uh you know directly relating to the eight movements of the original work and i we premiered it then at the cell in june of 2019 and then we also wrote uh, some uh, uh, original tunes with uh kind of in response but also uh with with the kind of general feeling of this and called that whole program uh songs for the end of time as a nod to, to messian's uh, uh, quartet for the end of time so that's where that title came from is when we premiered all of these works and then we realized that um these this is actually probably more than one album's worth of of stuff so that's where the volume one comes from so this is our first uh edition of what we see as our songs for the end of time and then now volume two will be i think what was what us what else we had performed on that program that's part of my conversation with Brandon Reidenauer and Ben Russell of Founders. Let's hear some more music. I'm going to play the intermede that they were talking about. This is the fourth movement of the piece, uh, roughly in the middle, and it comes in between two solos, a 
solo for clarinet in the third movement, Abyss of the Birds, and then the fifth movement, Praise to the Eternity of Jesus, which is a cello solo with piano accompaniment. So let's just get a sense of, of where this intermezzo falls. Uh, the third movement, Messian says, the abyss is time with its sadness, its weariness. The birds are the opposite to time. They are our desire for light, for stars, for rainbows, and for jubilant songs. Again, this is a clarinet solo. If you think of the bird calls that are being evoked in the clarinet in the first movement, the first thing that we heard in the show today, Messian has now taken that idea and expanded it, slowed it down. I mean, we're really entering that world. It's an incredible, very virtuosic clarinet solo. And then after the intermezzo, praise to the eternity of Jesus, what Messian says is, Jesus is considered here as the word, a broad phrase, infinitely slow on the cello, magnifies with love and reverence the eternity of the word, powerful and gentle, whose time never runs out, the melody stretches majestically into a kind of gentle, regal distance. In between those two movements, then, is the intermezzo, and Messian says it's a scherzo of a more individual character than the other movements, but linked to them nevertheless by certain melodic recollections. There are also some really interesting rhythmic idiosyncrasies in this movement. At any rate, let's hear Messian's treatment of the intermede, here performed by Fibonacci sequence. I think it's a fantastic performance. And then we'll hear the same, or the treatment of the same movement by Founders.
movements that we sing in one, two, and, and eight, um, that there is, I think that that's, that's going to be the thing that, uh, um, that shows you whether people are going to even listen or not. <laughs> uh, there are some, there are some folks who like you, they hear you're doing Messian and they hear you singing and they're like, okay, I'm out, <laughs> right. you know, and they just don't want to even, uh, pass through the door and, and, and take a listen. But, um, that to me is is the part where we're bringing ourselves to this and using his themes and the 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 vocal stuff i think is was important uh we're using text from from messian and then text from uh dsari uh to kind of uh bring in that kind of gravitas of that um of what was happening but there's certainly a lot of people who out there who feel like we have tainted sacred waters by simply sitting down to arrange this piece and especially adding our own voices to this. But I guess to that, we would say is we're simply trying to bring out in this case, the even more of the sacred components and spiritual component that Messian was going for in this. We aren't trying to taint anything at all or, or disrespect him. It's, it's quite the opposite. And uh, by, by adding our voices and adding the texts and bringing things out, um, we think it's actually uh, in many ways, more clear uh, what we're going for here and what the message and the meaning is behind the music. Because, um, I mean, not to not to ridicule the music at all, it's really a perfect composition. But when you listen to a lot of these contemporary sounds that he uses and dissonances, one does not think that it is sacred music that, that's being written here. It's, it's unusual to think of sacred music as being dissonant, but Messian just loved exploring all sorts of combos of, of chord clashes so uh, yeah that's that's our thinking in, in arranging this is we're just trying to pull that out and make those uh, in this case sacred texts even more obvious and transparent uh, in the arrangement and, and in the composition itself I, i'm curious about the dissonance too because i i do think that i mean for like really really spiritual people they'll describe the feeling is bliss, but also it's like an unwanted intrusion at times. I mean, like, you know, when Martin Luther had his revelation, he wasn't looking for it, right? Like a lot of times people aren't looking for it. It's a intrusion. And I, I'm always, you know, curious when, when, because with Messian's experience of spirituality, sometimes it's downright painful. I mean, you know, like it really is. It can hurt. Yeah. It sounds un unpleasant, but I think that that, that speaks to, to a lot of, you know, the, this experience and this experience that are, that's really hard to put words to as well. Um, you know, Messian seemed very in touch with how to describe it and within his own language that he developed um, what this meant. And maybe it was, you know, in many ways personal to him. But I think that that also uh, describes something that's very important is that everybody does need to find their own personal uh, interpretation of, of what all of this is. Not everyone's spirituality is is the same, and that's this is certainly the way that he chose to express it for himself. Um, and you know, uh, we just we're we're simply trying to celebrate that and and turn it into something that the founders can do. Actually, to be honest, I I just wanted to play the piece, and he didn't score for trumpet, so I'm just <laughs> kind of weigh in. Let's hear another movement now where Founders is singing, because I do think this is probably the most radical uh, reinterpretation or aspect of their reinterpretation of Quartet for the End of Time. We heard the second movement before where they were singing text by Messian. And now let's have a listen to the eighth movement, Praise for the Immortality of Jesus. If that sounds a lot like the fifth movement, Praise to the Eternity of Jesus, well, there's a direct connection. Messian says, Large violin solo, counterpart the cello solo of the fifth movement. Why this second eulogy? It is especially aimed at the second aspect of Jesus. Jesus the man, the word made flesh, immortally risen for our communication of his life. It is all love. Its slow ascent to the acutely extreme is the ascent of man to his God, the child of God to his father, the being made divine towards paradise. This is how the piece ends. It's interesting that it ends with a duo. It is a quartet but there are frequent subsets in the different movements. And I've been playing the piece out of order, but if you don't know the Quartet for the End of Time by Messian, definitely check it out and listen to it in order. I love this, uh, this uh, recording by the Fibonacci sequence, but there are quite a few others. 
And the album by Founders is called Songs for the End of Time, Volume 1. And you can find that on Bandcamp or at their website, foundersmusic.org. Okay, so here we go with Fibonacci sequence again, performing the last movement, Praise to the Immortality of Jesus by Olivier Messiaen, and then In the Hands of Founders. And here the text is from the DSE Ray. Thank you. 
Ben and I went back and forth uh, quite a bit on the second, on the seventh movement. And I think it shows like it's so just all over the place and sporadic and they're, they're just multiple uh, different attitudes and characters and uh, all sorts of different colors that come out of seven. It's probably the most colorful and wild movement um, and most collaborative uh, arrangement process. This uh, cluster of rainbows that, that are for the end of time, that are announcing the end of time. You know, this, like, what, what does that mean? Like, that was such a fantastic title um, that he's drawing from, you know, the book of Revelation, but also just uh, orally, what would that sound like? And he's such a, a color-based uh, composer. He, he's always, you know, it's the synesthesia of like seeing and hearing yeah. things at the same time. And so when we were co-arranging that, uh, Brandon and I, going for this almost like schizophrenic like back and forth but um i think we were going for this kind of color shifting things are just constantly going you know whoa what's going on in that movement specifically but also then in post we did the most i think uh, uh, like post production uh kind of getting our hands dirty with with different uh, effects and uh, uh, distortion and and things like going all over the place which um some of the other movements we totally didn't touch uh, but this one, we definitely felt like, no, this needs more of just like what is happening, this chaos, but colorful chaos. Yeah, colorful chaos. <laughs> That's so I think that the movement seven definitely uh, goes more into that, like uh, uh, his religious experience uh, being more colorful, more like uh stretching the boundaries of like you know things aren't just like lining up and blissful anymore this is like what is happening but also uh exciting but uh sad or you know crazed all of the all of the above let's hear the seventh movement now tangle of rainbows for the angel who announces the end of time 
this is, uh, for, for my money at least, this is the heart of, of the quartet. I mean, this is, uh, this movement has so much in it. But let's hear what Messian says. He says, recurring here are certain passages from the second movement. The angel appears in full force, especially the rainbow that covers him. The rainbow, symbol of peace, wisdom, and all luminescent and sonorous vibration. In my dreams, I hear and see ordered chords and melodies, known colors and shapes. Then, after this transitional stage, I pass through the unreal and suffer with ecstasy a tournament, a roundabout co-penetration of superhuman sounds and colors. These swords of fire, this blue-orange lava, these sudden stars, there is the tangle, there are the rainbows. This movement has everything that Ben and Brandon and I have been talking about, the, the kind of painful revelation, uh, the, the dissonant chords. There, there's a, quite an aggressive section uh, about halfway through the movement, but it also has all of the, the luminescence, the transcendence, the, the incredible beauty. Uh, this is, uh, well, I, again, for me, it's, it's the heart of the piece. At any rate, let's hear how Founders handles it. So we'll hear the original first and then head right into the version arranged by Founders.
Yeah, if I may add just a little bit to uh, one thing that those songs that, that you heard, uh, but also that some that have been written since are all kind of focusing currently on this kind of social justice aspect of, of, uh, um, of I think what was happening to Messian a little bit uh, where he, he had these visions of, I think, grandeur of like a different age, a different world um, you know, he's a very religious man, uh, very Catholic. And, and so he also was imprisoned at the time and writing this beautiful music while being suppressed in this, you know, and so the idea of there's some, there's this, this tension here that we wanted to bring to light also in our music. So uh, some of the tunes you heard were dealing with like, you know, kind of like rising up to the occasion, uh, you know, bringing uh bringing hope but also like actually standing up and doing something about it um it, it, that kind of theme i think is going to probably be pervasive especially in volume two but even it, uh as brandon said in in volumes that go on because that's something that we see as being uh like wow what what messian did here is phenomenal that in this suppression, he was able to really create something of, of great hope and of looking towards, and, and almost that was, you know, full of peace. Like this, this original piece, the original work has so much just calm moments of peace. And you're like, how did he find that? Where did he dig to write something like that? So that's our inspiration also. And in, in um, you may have seen kind of a separation but we're, we're digging, trying to dig deep in within ourselves as well to come up with some of that kind of uh, a call to action and hope and, and even uh, peace uh, in, in volume two. So I wanted to end the show uh, pointing to the future of this project, Songs for the End of Time, because there will be many, many more songs. And uh, though they won't directly reference Messian, as, uh, as we heard, that there will be in the, in the spirit of Messian in many ways. And uh, the piece that I want to go out with is called Dark Light, and the music is by Brandon Reidenauer. The lyrics are by Ben Russell. It's performed by founders at that same show at the Cell Theater put on by Tribeca New Music Festival, um, where they premiered the Olivia Messian songs. And I, I think that uh, the message of this song has only become more poignant since that night. Enjoy Dark Light by Founders. For Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening. Jordan!